0: All right, I think we're live. We're going to try. This is a test. Yeah, we're going to try something for a second or two. Just hang with us. Class is going to start at four, like it normally does. Uh, But I wanted to start a few minutes early so I can check the audio and the video and make sure everything works correctly. So we're going to go through a few minutes of the video uh, right now to make sure that you can hear it. It's not all garbled and stuff and uh, make sure everything works right. So, just as soon as it comes up on my end, we are live. We are live now. That's what my phone says. Let's find it on my iPad. There it is. Okay. So, there's that. Okay. Here we go. Let's see if it works. Not real, just a test run. No, no worries. Don't tape this. Yeah. (laughs) It's illegal in Florida. Let's see, I should do that, I should do that. You should be able to hear it, oh, I gotta mute us.
1: Welcome to the Does God Exist video program number 24. The new atheism, the new science, and God. We live in an age in which
0: Alright. Looks like a successful test run. Still got a couple of minutes left. Let's make sure we're doing okay here. Still. We probably need to get just a little bit more in the picture. A little bit too. Yeah. And you can still hear us, right? Yeah. so that's good i'll unplug that when it's time to start so you can hear the video okay yeah right there <laughs> nice yeah. welcome welcome we've got about a minute left Can do this. So uh-huh. oh, there we are. o'clock. All right.
2: All right. (laughs) Great. All right. We're going to begin. Both of us have our fingers crossed. (laughs) But uh, Chris has checked things out and uh, we apologize for last week's uh, uh, issues that we had. Um, And he thinks he had them fixed at least 30 minutes or so after after uh, we uh, aborted our, our efforts there. Um, Today, as uh, we attempted to do last week, um, John Clayton is going to talk to us about uh, atheism. He's going to talk to us about um, bad theology, and he's going to talk to us about uh, bad science, as well as good theology and and good science. Uh, He will hit upon a variety of topics uh, but one of the things he hits very early uh, is this notion that um, there was old atheism and there's now new atheism, and that there are um, similarities in the fact that they both are still uh, focused around uh, a non-belief in God, but that uh, the new atheists seem to have uh, more of a militant uh, attitude um, about their beliefs it's not you believe what you want to believe and i'll believe what i want to believe it's we're not going to let you believe what you want to believe and so uh, we're going to talk about that and when my portion when clayton is done we're going to talk about uh, secularism and how that relates to uh, atheism and and some other other things and then I'll share some some news items with you to uh, to bolster uh, what I'm saying, or to uh, pro- provide some evidence for where I'm taking us uh, in that latter part. So, let's listen to uh, Mr. Clayton.
1: Welcome to the Does God Exist video program number 24, The New Atheism, the New Science, and God. We live in an age in which there has been a lot of change in the attempts of atheists to promote their view. Some of you have probably seen this advertisement from the American Humanist Association. Don't believe in God? You're not alone. Forty-three million Americans identify as non-religious. That doesn't necessarily mean they're atheists, but it certainly shows how strongly the atheists are advertising. We have seen statements by renowned atheists in publications of some significance. People like William Provine people like Steven Weinberg. And some of these people like Weinberg are very well recognized. They're academically qualified Nobel Prize winners. Statements are made that are inflammatory. The new atheism is not passive. The new atheism headed by people like Richard Dawkins as well as the other figures we have talked about is aggressive. We talked about some of Dawkins statements earlier in this series. The fact that he makes statements that are rooted in ignorance. We talked specifically about the fact that the concept of a jealous God is not used in the Bible as reference to a petty God who has a childlike jealousy, but rather as a husband who has an adulterous wife. And so it is infidelity that is referred to in jealousy and not some kind of petty jealousy, and each of those words could be handled in very much the same way. Our point here, however, is the viciousness, the malice, the total aggressiveness involved. Not only people like Dawkins and Stenger and Hitchens and Harris, but things like the Rational Response Quad, an attempt to allow people who want to speak out against Christianity blaspheme God and record their names as those who hold such a view. We also have seen aggressive attempts to portray the villains of history as religious people. Hector Avalis and his comments about Hitler and the fact that he associates Nazi Germany with Christianity is a good example of how aggressive and how strong these viewpoints are. Atheism is a militant force in our society. It is aggressive. It is not passive. It is not something that can be ignored. Now, you might say, well, you know, is this having any effect? And every indication is that it does have an effect. Atheist websites dominate the web. You can go on the web and you can pick up literally hundreds of atheist positions. Most of them are saying the same things, but this is influencing people. Recent studies have shown that 25% of all people who identify themselves as either Christians on a Catholic basis or on a Protestant basis admit they have doubts about God's existence. This has been effective. In addition to the new atheism, another melanin force affecting us is the new science. The rate at which scientific discoveries have been made is just amazing. More scientific progress has been made on all fronts in the last hundred years than in most of man's history. In most recent times, people like Stephen Hawking have created a great deal of controversy from the field of quantum mechanics and cosmology. Hawkins came out with a book in which he said he had disqualified God, that God was no longer necessary because he could show how everything came from nothing. Well, when you start studying that, you have to realize that what has happened is he has redefined nothing. You know, when you want an interesting exercise, go to the web and type in nothing and see what you get. (laughs) Page after page after page after page (laughs) of nothing. And what's important is that the word nothing conveys a different thing to Hawkins than it does perhaps to you or to me. When I think about nothing, I'm thinking about no time, no space, no matter, no energy, no dimensions, nothing. When Hawking uses the word nothing, he's talking about the creation in which we live. He's talking about the physical world. He's talking about X, Y, and Z. He's not talking about what might be coming from dimensions beyond our own. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting that in quantum mechanics, things happen that don't fit Newtonian mechanics. Simultaneous things happening at things that are not connected, what Einstein used to call spooky interactions at a distance. The gut particle, the discovery of a which can explain the origin of all the forces that we have. All of these things are things that are a part of quantum mechanics, of the new science, of the new cosmology. And what's interesting in this is that it really doesn't vary from what I concluded our last presentation to say. In our last presentation I told you about my old science department chair who said to me as a new teacher in an inner city public school that the easiest thing to understand about science and religion is that all science does is to try to understand what and how God has done what he's done. And so in quantum mechanics we're learning how God created matter, force, gravity, light, etc. And if he used a God particle to do it, this is simply a method of understanding the process that God used. And we talked about spooky interactions at a distance. But it's important to understand that many of these things become very complicated String theory, superstrings, strings, brains, that's B-R-A-N-E-S, parallel universes, virtual universes. Are these alternatives to, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth? Well, this is an area that needs to be understood. The discussions need to be clear in our minds about what is going on with all of these new scientific areas. And some of them have very practical applications. For instance, cloning. Will we clone a human being? I would hope that nobody would be stupid enough to do that. Because when I say stupid, I mean that there is no scientific reason to do it. At least at the present time, our clones are inferior to the original method. And it's important to understand that Dolly, for example, the sheep that was one of the first higher mammal clonings that took place are inferior to the natural process. I would hope nobody would do that. But knowing humans and the pressure to do something new and get yourself in the history book is very strong. Somebody will probably do it. If we do, will that human have a soul? That's an important issue. And by the way, I don't want to leave that one in the air. My response to that is yes. Where does the possession of man's spiritual makeup, in the Bible or anywhere else, have any dependence upon how man came into being. It's important to understand that we now have people produced by artificial insemination. We have test tube babies. Do those individuals have souls? Of course they do. The Bible does not address this particular issue. Nowhere does it indicate that how man is conceived is related to whether or not man has a spiritual makeup. We are in God's spiritual image. and If we are humans, That is what defines us. The human genome. It is interesting the man who did the original work on this has written a number of books dealing with the question of how this material can be used and he is writing as a believer. You might be interested in reading The Language of God by Francis Collins. We have seen evidence that chimps are 99% human in the genome. So is that an indication that we are just simply a little farther along, does that one percent explain our humanism? Are diseases programmed into our DNA indicating that they are not a product of design, or if they are, it's by some kind of evil god, but more likely that they are a product of natural processes that altered our DNA? And how about junk DNA? Or is it really junk? These are questions we want to talk about, but what I want to do right now is just simply indicate to you that these are issues that are raised. Young people study these things in college. Young people read these things on the web. It's important for us to deal with the new science. Now, I think it's important as well to understand that in this process, there is one fundamental assumption, one fundamental point that we have been trying to demonstrate to you. And that point is that science and the Bible, that science and faith are not antagonists. And I've tried to indicate to you in previous discussions why that's so important. Young people should not be given the choice or should not feel they have to make the choice between being a well-educated, informed, scientific person and being a believer in God. That is not logical. It's destructive to science. It's destructive to faith. Science and faith are compatible disciplines. They support each other. They reinforce each other. They exist in a symbiotic relationship, each mutually beneficial to the other. And we've said that many, many times. Well, if that's the case, then how do we deal with the things about which we have just been talking? So let's let's try to get some fundamentals here and then we will start looking at some of these questions in detail. What is science? Here's Webster's definition. Science is knowledge, a state or fact of knowing, often as opposed to intuition, systematized knowledge derived from observation, study, and experimentation, carried on in order to determine the nature or principles of what is being studied. Science involves method. Science involves being able to conduct experiments, being able to understand. Now those experiments may not be things we do with our hands, they may be experiments in logic, they may be experiments in observation, but there has to be some way of testing, of falsifying whatever it is that we're studying to determine whether it's true or not. And there is such a thing as bad science. In First Timothy 6, beginning with verse 20, Timothy is warned, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and opposition of science falsely so called. Because even in Paul's day, there were people making claims of scientific issues that were invalid. In order to be good science, it must be able to be falsified. It must be able to be tested in some way. I'd also like to point out to you that science is sometimes used incorrectly. Albert Einstein used to say, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. What was Einstein saying? Well, I think the first point is that science is helpful to religion. We have already tried to show you ways in which science can support our beliefs, in which science can make us understand statements in the Bible in a better way? Well, science cannot determine the answer to how scientific discoveries will be used. How will we use cloning? You know, it's possible that we will be able to clone organs to eliminate many diseases in human beings. I've been reading research papers in which they have been successful in cloning a liver. And this has been actually done with cattle. Suppose you could clone a human liver. Think what you could do. Someone has liver cancer, a very serious cancer. You could take healthy cells from their liver, clone a new liver, remove their cancerous liver, put the cloned liver in. They would no longer have the cancer. It went with the old liver. There would be no rejection because it's their liver, because the cells were cloned from them, that is put back into their bodies. What a wonderful thing. What a great thing. Cloning could be used to eliminate starvation, to enable us to develop plants that can grow faster, that can have a greater yield. But cloning could also be used to produce horrible diseases, to produce things that would be monsters, essentially, in the the sense of the worst science fiction movie you can think of. How will that be done? How will we determine the use to which cloning will be put? I suggest to you it will be the moral convictions, the religious convictions, of the people doing the research. So it's important to understand that people have used science in destructive ways. I suggest to you that Richard Dawkins' statement, denying the existence of evil and suggesting that humans are completely and totally the product of their DNA, is an interpretation from science, but it's not science. He certainly is welcome to that opinion but it cannot be stated as a scientific fact. When we talked about Huxley, I pointed out to you that Huxley admitted that his motivation for saying that the world did not have meaning was because he was concerned about sexual and political freedom. That's not science. That's a misuse of scientific information. I have tried to show you in our previous video that the Bible clearly projects God as an engineer not as a magician. And we spent a great deal of time pointing out the statements that support the concept of the wisdom of God. So bad science is one of the things that we need to contend with. If it is not testable, it is not falsifiable, then it is bad science. There are many writers who have suggested that string theory is bad science, the virtual universes are bad science, The parallel universes are bad science. Why? Because they're not testable. They're not falsifiable. Somebody may say, well, there are all kinds of equations which support string theory. That's true, but those equations have 10 to the 500th power different solutions, essentially infinite numbers of solutions, most of which would not suggest that strings are the cause of the creation in which we live. There's no way you can test those equations. There's no way to conduct an experiment to see which ones are valid. So many science writers are suggesting this is not good science. How do you test virtual universes? How would you prove that there are parallel universes? They're interesting intellectual exercises. They're fun to talk about. They're fun to speculate about. But they're not science. Now the second general area that I want to talk about is bad theology. Bad theology is the other issue in this discussion. We have had bad science, we have bad theology, these two have produced most of the confusion and most of the misunderstanding that we see in the world today. Bad theology involves a couple of different things. Number one, it involves restricting the methods that God can use. When we discuss Proverbs, one of the things I tried to point out to you is that Proverbs says that God has created with wisdom. How did God produce the diversity of life upon the earth? Did he use natural process? How did God create light? Did he use the acceleration of a charged particle to produce light? Are we going to restrict the way in which God can accomplish the things that he has done? It's bad theology to do that. And many times in the past, people have justifiably accused believers of using a God of the gaps mentality in the discussions of their evidence. God of the gaps is when you say, well, I don't know how that happened, so God must have done it. The problem with that is that later on, when a scientific answer is given to how it happened, then there is no longer a necessity for God. And it's important not to do that. The Bible has God saying over and over, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. It's bad theology to restrict the methods that God can use. And science has shown us many of the methods God has used in producing the creation around us. Another example of bad theology is not taking the Bible literally. <laughs> and that's, a, that's an inflammatory phrase, isn't it? Not taking the Bible literally. Almost all religious fundamentalists say, we take the Bible literally, but they don't. To take the Bible literally means you have to look at who wrote it, who they wrote it to, why it was written, and how the people of that day would have understood what was written. Let me give you an example of what it means to take the Bible literally. The Bible says that God created each living thing after its kind. Now, what do you understand that word kind to mean? Are we going to take the Bible literally or not? Does it mean species? This is an important issue. The science textbook defines a species as, quote, a group of plants or animals that can interbreed and produce fertile offspring. That's the scientific definition of the word species. Now there have been all kinds of discussions about how that needs to be altered for things that uh, don't fit easily into the definition, but that's still pretty much a basic mainline definition of what we mean by species. And new species come into existence. You are looking here at a new species of radish. These radishes cannot interbreed with their great 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 grand radish and produce for offspring. This is a new species. Hey these things are fantastic. they go to maturity in sixty days. They have incredible nutritional value. they biodegrade very quickly. The taste's terrible, but the point is this is a new species and I want to emphasize here I said a new species scientifically. This fits the definition of a new species, but it is not a new kind. The Hebrew word kind is min, M-I-N. That word is used very consistently throughout the entire Bible. There's a definition of it given in 1 Corinthians 15, 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men. Notice the word kind. Another kind of flesh of beast, another kind of flesh of fishes, another kind of flesh of birds. Now, let me point out to you, he didn't say the flesh of robin, the flesh of blue jay, the flesh of hawk, the flesh of penguin, the flesh of ostrich. He said the flesh of birds. He didn't say the flesh of bluegill, the flesh of black bass, the flesh of catfish, the flesh of trout, the flesh of flounder. He said the flesh of fish. The biblical word kind is a very broad word. And the Bible clearly recognizes this. Species and kind do not mean the same thing. We need to take the Bible literally. So there were no peek-a-poos on Noah's Ark. Now whether you talk about the peek-a-poo, or whether you talk about the kakapoo or whether you deal with the miniature St. Bernard, all of these dogs evolved from some ancient dog-like ancestor. And it's important to understand, and we'll talk about evolution in the next presentation, but it's important to understand in this discussion that these are in some cases new species, not in the case of the dogs, but they are not new kinds. The Charlet is an example of change that involves variations that have occurred, and cattle have varied enormously. Some of them are infertile with other cattle. Let me show you an example. You're looking at a cross between a goat and a sheep. It's called a jeep. Now, it's important to understand that this is an animal which has been produced by man's interference that is infertile with its ancestors. How do we classify it? Well, it's still all one kind. It might be that you can get to a version here that has speciated and that this might happen in the natural world. But the fact is that kind is a very broad word and new species may come into existence, but new kinds do not. The Bible talks about this kind of change. And we will talk about it when we talk about the process of evolution. Words are important. Our fundamental message here is that science and the Bible are supportive of each other. They reinforce each other. They exist in a symbiotic relationship. You can have bad science, you can have bad theology, but if you eliminate those and if you look at what the Bible actually says literally and what the scientific evidence actually is, they support each other, they encourage each other in broad, supportive ways. We will talk in detail about some of these other issues. I give you here a list of some examples of bad theology that have been used. But the conflicts that occur between science and faith are problems that occur because people have not taken these terms carefully and used them in constructive ways. The Bible and science support each other. There is probably no area where there is more and more controversy about this than in the subject of evolution. And In the next several videos, we will deal with the question of evolution and the Bible. Do they agree? Do they conflict with each other? How do we resolve that issue? How do we show that science and faith are compatible and supportive in the light of scientific evidence?
2: To touch down just a little bit. There we go. I feel feel like I've, I'm I'm trying to look over the edge of a table uh, here, and I am short, but not that short. Um, got some interesting uh, stuff there, and uh, this uh, his talk sets us up for uh, his his dealings with evolution as we go into next week. One of the things that I mentioned at the beginning, and one of the things that he mentioned, was this notion of uh, uh, atheism this uh, anti-religious um, effort on the part of mankind. And it's, it's not new, um, but it, it, it has changed in recent years. And there seems to be uh, more activism on the part of those who are um, anti-religion and anti-Bible. And it's almost as if that uh, our belief offends them. And uh, heaven knows that uh, everyone's feelings are on edge uh, nowadays. And uh, it is so easy to offend someone and then someone else take that offense and translate it into some sort of abuse on our part, and then uh, laws and policies result. What I want to talk about uh, first before we talk about uh, some other things is this idea of not atheism necessarily but secularism atheism for uh religious people is mm, the worst that can be i mean it is it it is a, a total flat denial of anything uh scriptural or anything religious anything that has to do with the god or or anything of that nature um but secularism um is a softer term it's one that that uh, people are, are more comfortable with because I think they don't understand it. Uh, but there is a uh, close relationship between the two. Yeah. Secularism has been around for a while. Um, the first publication on secularism, I believe, or one of the earliest ones was in 1896. George Holyoke uh, had, um, uh, had a book or a publication called English Secularism, and he describes it this way. Secularism is a code of duty pertaining to this life founded on considerations purely human and intended mainly for those who find theology indefinite or inadequate. So those individuals who are dissatisfied with things related to religion or theology, secularism is an option for them. And it is focused um, on those who have have problems with this, with religion. Um, if they find theology unreliable and unbelievable, it is an option. I stopped in the middle of the sentence there. Its essential principles are three. First, the improvement of this life by material means. Not anything related to religion, just material things. So a focus on satisfying self and on material things. Secondly, that science is the available providence of man. Has nothing to do with God um, setting things in order, creating the world or anything like that. Science is, uh, is man's domain. And that it is good to do good. Well, I think we would agree with that one uh, from a scriptural standpoint. Whether there be other good or not, um, the good of the present life is what is good. And it is good to seek that good. A little redundant there, but the focus is this life is what's important. Not an afterlife, not a preparation for afterlife, not storing up treasures in heaven or anything like that. Because as he would say, That simply doesn't exist. Holyoke held that secularism and secular ethics should take no interest at all in religious questions as they were irrelevant. It was was a waste of time to even consider anything religious and was thus to be distinguished from strong free thought and and atheism. Those who uh, define themselves or characterize themselves as secularists are along a spectrum the same way that there are those who are along uh, those who identify themselves as uh, religious are along uh, a spectrum. But basically what you're talking about is is a man centered um, um, way of looking at the world or a God centered way of looking <clears throat> at the world. Let me read you some, uh, some things. Um, As we speak, Chris and I were just talking about it before we started and I was listening to it before I came over here. Um, We have citizens in the uh, wells of the Senate and the House of Representatives. Um, They have marched and are have occupied the Capitol building there. And uh, since uh, I've been here, I guess about an hour now. I don't know what has come uh, about in that in that hour. Um, there is a curfew at dark uh, that the mayor has imposed uh, for people to uh, to clear the streets. Um, I don't know what's going to happen there. That gathering and that demonstra- demonstration is an outgrowth of a uh, presidential election that we had um, in, in recent months. And um, To say that there is considerable turmoil um, in our country right now would be a gross understatement. Um, I don't know. I don't know where we're headed. I don't know. um, I don't know what's going to happen by the end of the day in Washington, let alone tomorrow and the next day and on down the line. Um, These are difficult times, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. The person of Christ, the child of God, um, I have said is under um, duress. We are not in any way under duress the way those Christians were in the first century. We've not had our homes taken yet. We've not had our livelihoods taken yet. we have not experienced being thrown in prison yet. Um, I think Romans twelve says you have not resisted to the point of blood yet, and that's that's probably not just being cut. It means probably death um, in that context there, because he's encouraging them to look at Christ as their as their model for endurance and persistence. So. Um, The admonishments that we have in the New Testament to, uh, endure, to persevere, um, were written to a group of people who needed to hear it a lot more than we do. But at the same time, there are signs that, that, that we in this country, uh, we in this world, uh, uh, those of us who believe in the, in the Bible and the tenets and the uh, teachings there, um, are under attack and with the new administration and i don't want to get political here but look at the platform of the new administration and you can see that there are some things there that just don't line up with the bible let me say a few things here about uh, an article that i found the other day online atheist coalition unveils secular agenda for biden urges repeal of religious liberty protections a Coalition of 19 Atheist and Like-minded Not People Organizations 19 Atheist and Like-minded Organizations has released a lengthy secular agenda blueprint for the Biden administration urging it to repeal protections for religious liberty one of our fundamental tenets that the 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 bill of rights uh, established for us and to require I think it's called Bill of Rights, I say off the top of my head, Uh, and to require taxpayer funding of abortion. It's a 13-page document called The Secular Agenda for the 117th Congress and Biden Administration. The coalition says it represents atheist, agnostic, and humanist Americans, including the organizations The American Atheist, Freedom From Religion Foundation, and the Secular Student Alliance. Um says that the 117th Congress can expect expect a flurry of legislative actions to be undertaken and want not only our community to understand what we are working for on their behalf, but also for Congress and the new administration to have a better understanding of what our very large and quickly growing constituency expects of them. Now that may be bra- bravado. Uh, it may be false advertising. But it may be accurate also, and I believe it falls more on the accurate side than um, the bravado side. I won't read this this part here. Um, the, oh, the coalition is asking the Biden administration to reverse or modify some 30 executive orders. Um, regulations are ruled that the current administration adopted to protect religious liberty. Blueprint also encourages Congress to have a secular congressional invocation. (laughs) Speaking of which, if you heard the invocation yesterday or the day before of the individual who said the opening prayer for Congress, and it it blows my mind that they're still praying before doing something religious before before Congress with all of the anti-religious stuff that they do otherwise, But he said, you know, hoping, you know, we can unify and I don't remember what all he he said there. But at the end, um, he he tipped his hat to, you know, the the inclusion of uh, more females in Congress, which is a good thing. I'm not against that. Um, And then he says in the name of the all inclusive uh, embracing hindu or brahman yeah. hindu god brahma amen now, this guy was at one time a methodist preacher um up until what, 2006 2007 something like that he was used to praying publicly and i guarantee that not in one of his services he ever said in the name of brahma <laughs> a hindu god i mean that that is, not only are you leaving out Jesus as the mediator for that prayer to God, you're inserting something that that that, that is just so totally different or the opposite of the Son of God. It measures up in no way. It is so anti-biblical. He did it on the floor of the uh, Senate. I believe is what they were doing there. And he said in the name of the Brahma, uh, Brahma, the Hindu god, um, Amen and A women.
0: <laughs> now the last little tidbit's the soundbite everybody's latched a hold to because it's the stupidest thing. But what's really concerning is the, the inclusion
2: of, of the Brahmin
0: god and Hindu and all that other stuff.
2: But... Amen. And a women. Now, naturally, everybody knows it has nothing to do with gender or (laughs) sex or anything like that. Amen means so be it. Um, And it's and it's a common and has been used in in scripture to uh, establish uh, authority to say, let it be Mm -hmm. whatever was requested in the prayer. Let it be, you know, just just amen. Uh, You affirm what has has been said previously, including the fact that the prayer was offered through the name of Jesus and not Brahma. Um, He's received considerable flack for it. His explanation was he was tipping his hat to all the women who had been uh, elected to Congress, which is good. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, But. And he says it was after the prayer was over. Amen. The prayer was over, but he was tying it right directly to the word. Amen. So you get this kind of thinking in the halls of Congress who makes and passes laws that affect us. And these people are influenced by organizations, 19 organizations of atheists and like-minded people. This bill, or this uh, document, this 13-page document, asked Biden and Democrats to champion 11 specific bills in Congress, including the Do No Harm Act, which the coalition says would curb religious exemptions under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed in 1993, says up above here, by a bipartisan um, effort under President Clinton. Um, and it was passed unanimously in the House and the Senate passed it 97 to 3. So what they were doing in 1993 were building in an understanding for the provisions that were set forth in the Constitution to begin with. And now they are wanting to curb those religious, religious exemptions. For example, a um, an organization, a religious organization um, paying taxes. No, they want to pull that away I mean they're not you can't hide behind uh, your religion uh, if you uh, if you don't want to pay taxes since that is a religious enterprise and not a a profit um, sharing or a profit uh, gaining situation. women's health Protection Act, which would prohibit state prohibit state and local governments from passing pro-life laws, prohibit them. Not only banning in the process, you couldn't pass a law that was pro-life, anything that has to do with preserving the life of children in the womb. The Each Woman Act, which would require taxpayer funding of abortion and public health insurance plans. Each child deserves a family. Uh, Each child deserves a family act, which prohibits discrimination in foster care and adoption on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. The Equality Act, which would amend federal laws to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity identity in public accommodations and facilities, education, federal funding, employment, um, and housing. Um, second article. Uh, sure. Major okay. LBGT group urges Biden to strip accreditation of Christian schools and colleges. I start a school with my money. I incorporate into that curriculum. I found that entity on the teachings in the Bible. We teach the Bible at that institution. I now am going to have my accreditation stripped, and, and the government doesn't even control these accreditations. These are independent bodies that go out and, acc- and accredit all schools from elementary to middle to high to, to u- colleges and universities. And they're saying, um, if we teach anything that offends them or is um, against their um, doctrine, then They're saying that the uh, administration should strip their um, accreditation. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist Theology Seminary in Louisville, calls such recommendations, Senator, I've not seen any document like this before. The human rights campaign is effectively calling for religious colleges and schools to be coerced into the sexual revolution or stripped of accreditation. In terms of accreditation, that is an atomic bomb. In a clear text, in in clear text for all the world to see, the human rights campaign summoned Biden administration to deny accreditation, or at least the the very least to facilitate the denial of the accreditation of Christian institutions. This is an undisguised attempt to shut down any semblance of a Christian college or university that would possess the audacity to operate from a Christian worldview. These. And uh, those are just two that that I found, Um, it'll be interesting to see um, what comes from um, the new administration if it is ever allowed to take place based on what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Um, It could be that um, these groups are shooting high. Remember the Green New Deal? It was it was proposed as this is the way things ought to be when it was shot down even by many within their own party they said oh well these are just suggestions these are where we want to head eventually we're not talking about doing that right now well if they had been accepted
0: <laughs>
2: they would have been policies for right now you don't propose what you don't want to get uh, to get passed and put into so it could be that this movement um to secularize all aspects of not only our government but american society uh, are just examples of shooting high and and we'll we'll settle somewhere uh in between doesn't matter we're headed in the wrong direction and um it i don't don't, uh, i'm i'm a little upset today i'm a little uh discouraged today and if anybody knows me, I'm I'm not the kind to get um, overwrought about something. But I am confused at the moment, and I I don't know where where we're headed with all of that. Thomas Paine said um, in one of his early publications, I think it was Thomas Paine. These are times that try men's souls. And I would abridge that a little bit and say. These are times that try our faith. Um, and that could have been what Thomas was saying with the use of of souls there. Um, he was talking about the revolutionary war, I do believe, and that men needed to step forward and examine their principles, their convictions, and fight for freedom um, uh, for for our our new country. Um, we have been through uh, t- 10 months now of a virus uh, that has changed our norms, changed our habits, changed our lives, changed our educational system, changed how we socialize, changed how we interact with one another. Um, it has it it has. And we, we didn't see this coming. It wasn't a gradual uh, secular or social movement. That we could have said, oh, OK, if this keeps up, this, we're headed this way, like these other things that, that I've been talking about for the past few minutes. It hit. And within a month or two, restrictions and changes in our lives were, were very evident. Um, many of us here at Rome and in other places attend worship every Sunday morning before worship services we worship service we have a bible class that evening we attend another worship service on wednesday we come for a brief devotion and then go to more bible classes to help us learn more about god's will which he commands us to do not only reverence him and worship him in our formal Worship, but to learn more about Him. Maybe that wasn't your habit. Maybe uh, you showed up on Sunday morning and that was it, and only for a worship service and that was it. If that's the case, maybe your life has not changed that much, Um, except now you're doing it at home rather than um, here at the building. Numerous passages. In the Bible. Encourage us to endure. Encourage us to um, be bold under times of duress and persecution. And as we said a while ago, um, those people had it. Those people lived it. Those people died it in many, in many cases. And we are only beginning, I think, to see what kind of trials and temptation and persecution um, are going to befall us. I'm not talking about uh, headaches or stomach aches or cancer or anything like that. When it talks about suffering in the New Testament, it is suffering for the cause of Christ, suffering as a child of God, suffering because you are a Christian. And so, like I say, we may be at a turning point where persecution of our faith is going to accelerate. It has been on the horizon. It has affected some of us in our jobs and our work um, and and um, how we go about our business. But it could be that it's getting ready to kick into gear so that we, um, as as Christians and children of God, are going to have our faith tested like never before. And I hate to be chicken little. I, 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 <clears> this <throat> the, the sky is not falling, but there are cracks in it. And there are signs that, that um, if those who are anti-religious and those who are pro-secular thought In this country, take hold, make laws, and (laughs) oh, yeah, there's one other situation. Maybe in the last hour or so, the decision in Georgia has been made and the election has been called there. And if that happens, then the Biden administration, the new administration, will have both houses um, of Congress at their um, behest to work with them on. Some of the things that, all of the things that they want to put into effect uh, in this country. And again, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm trying to frame this from a standpoint that there is a, a philosophy that is focused on man and what he wants. And then there is a philosophy that focuses on God's word. And I'm not saying that all Republicans and conservatives are godly, and I'm not saying that all liberals and Democrats are ungodly. But if you look at the platform, if you look at at what both parties try to achieve, and heaven knows I am not defending any of those people there in Washington, because I think Washington corrupts. We have a system that that is uh, nowhere like what the founding forefathers um, of this nation wanted for this nation. Um, and I won't go into any more detail than that. But I'm not saying that it is um, in the in the individuals. It's in the it's in the underlying philosophy. It's in the underlying attitude toward God's word. Um, and and doing things that would please God rather than please man. I'm gonna you want to say something else, then I'm gonna I'm going close with a passage. Um, go ahead. Um
0: we're almost out of time. Too. Yeah.
2: Second Corinthians four Paul is talking about all the things that he and the apostles undergo. And they underwent a lot more than just regular Christians. And then uh, he ends up with an admonishment for us. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body, the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body and in what we do. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, There, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and be present with us. and and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God and then these last three verses therefore we do not lose heart but through but though our outer man is decaying our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction All of those things he said about what the apostles were experiencing. Momentary light affliction by comparison. Is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen. But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So. Don't lose heart. Remain faithful to death. Don't let the cares of this world get you down too much. We have too much to look forward to after this life. Life in so many other ways is so good and so rewarding. We'll get through this and things will get better and if that better has to be on the day of judgment then so be it. Now that sounds really negative, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm trying to be positive here and I'm trying to to give us give us some sense of hope. Um we can get through this. Um just don't take it too seriously and too much to heart. And if difficulties come your way, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as our prime example of being mistreated even though He did no wrong. So we'll have another session of uh, Mr. Clayton next week, and he's going to talk to us about a very interesting topic, evolution. We'll see you next week.